Oh, it's so good to be back with you again. Um, I wanted to share with you how much God loves you, how much he longs and yearns for you to be in his presence and how you can bless him and how you can minister to him. But first of all, let me tell you a story. I love telling stories. Um, I was, oh, I think I must have been about seven or eight years old. Uh, and my father had a shop um, in Oxford, uh, but he had a big office that I could go into. And I used to, I couldn't wait to leave school to go and see my daddy. I was my daddy's little girl. Um, and I would rush straight into his office and I'd plonk myself on his lap and put my arms around his neck. And I would tell him all about my day. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful time together. And it's only recently that I realized actually that it was, he enjoyed those times together. They were special times. Now, my father's staff had to knock on the door and they, they wouldn't dream of going in unless he told them to come in. But for me, I was allowed to just open the door, whatever it was, and just rush in. That is like your heavenly father is with you. He absolutely adores you. He loves you passionately. And you are able to bless him and to minister to him. You see, it's an unspeakable privilege and honor to be invited. God is inviting us to come into his presence, to spend time with him in loving fellowship and worship, just as a, a beloved child with an adored father. And we can do this through our Lord Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice, his incredible sacrifice on the cross, and through his death and resurrection. And I want us to read a little bit about the early church, and this is Acts chapter 13, it's just verses 1 to 2. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now isn't that interesting? He'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and here he was, loving and worshipping God, and Herod the Tetrarch was busy murdering people. There you go. And Saul, we know Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, God the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. You see, we see from this scripture the commissioning of Paul's great apostolic world-changing ministry. I understand that Paul wrote nearly three quarters of the New Testament, which we enjoy um, today. And so it was world changing. They, there they were ministering to the Lord and God gives this amazing commission to Paul and Barnabas. You see, God is a giver, he's not a withholder. And when we give to him, he gives back to us, pressed down, shaken together and running over. You know, there's another favorite story of mine, I mean, true story uh, in the Bible. Let's take a look at a certain sinner. This is found in Luke chapter 7, and the, the, the account goes from verse 37 to 39. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And she stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet again and again. And she anointed them with the fragrant oil. 
Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, he spoke to himself saying, hmm, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered this man's internal thinking and speaking and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. And there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Therefore, Simon, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. Then Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss of greeting, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven you. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. I mean, this woman, she was obviously, shall we say, a, a notorious sinner. Maybe she was a prostitute. Um, and she must have gone through so many uh, uh, religious roadblocks and hindrances, even her, in her own mind. But she was desperate for Jesus. She wanted to be in his presence. She wanted to pour out her love upon him. And she went through all those roadblocks. And we can see the, the way they thought of her. He said, if he's a man, he'd know what, what, who and what manner of woman this is, a sinner. And you see, for a Pharisee to even look at a woman um, was, was not right. And they would avert their eyes. There was a group of Pharisees known as the bleeding Pharisees. And they were very proud of this because rather than look at a woman who, you know, is beneath them, um, they would actually walk into, into walls and all sorts of things uh, trying to avoid them. And I've been on an aeroplane when we came back from Israel uh, and uh, a woman who was sitting next to, I think, a, re a religious gentleman uh, was told to move because he didn't want to sit next to a woman. So it, it hasn't changed a great deal. She had to go through a lot to get to Jesus. And isn't it amazing? When they saw her love being poured out, did that touch them to the quick? No. They said, who's this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And Jesus asked uh, the Pharisee called Simon and said, who would love the most? And Simon said, I suppose the one whom the creditor forgave more. And Jesus said, yes, you know, you've rightly judged. The revelation, the greater the revelation we have of God's amazing mercy and grace and love to us, the more we will love and adore him. You know, 
I just felt to share this with you. Um, my beloved brother went home to be with the Lord just a few weeks ago. And he lived a life far away from the Lord in the world. Um, and the, the, um, he wasn't an alcoholic, but he drank a lot of alcohol. He smoked many cigarettes. He, he, he ate very, very rich food. He'd had the stress of um, three divorces. Um, and all this had taken a, a physical toll on his body. But he returned to the Lord just a couple of years before his life ended. He had no idea, neither did I, that he was going to die so soon. And um, I was concerned for his salvation. And when he said to me, Hillary, he said, I've led a life far away from God. He said, but God has been so merciful to me. He's forgiven me so much. God has been so good to me. And he said, I am a Christian. I'm not a good one, but I am a Christian. You see, he grasped, he understood the mercy and the grace of God that we cannot save ourselves. It's accepting what Jesus has done. God's love, accepting his love for us and, and to, to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And my brother clung to the Lord. And with his dying breath, he said to me, Jesus, I love you. Not to me, but he was saying, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. I'm so in love with you, Lord Jesus. And he said to me, I want my funeral to glorify God. I want my death to bring people to God. And you know, God is answering that prayer because all the people who came to his funeral, many were his old drinking, smoking friends, and they heard the gospel because my brother had said, I want you to use this as an evangelistic outreach to all these dear people. And so you see, it's not too late to receive Jesus but we need to understand it's God's grace and God's mercy. Let's just take a look at how much God has forgiven us all. I love to look at the names of God. They tell us so much about him. First of all, he's Jehovah. This is a distinctly redemptive name, and it's the self-existence one who is revealing, reveals himself. And all the blessings of the new covenant come from the cross. Christ's redemptive work for us and the recovery of everything that we lost in the fall is through our Lord Jesus Christ's work on the cross. And the names that God has revealed to us, they are continuing, they, they continually um, reveal areas of God. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present. God says, lo, I am with you always. I will never, 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 no, never leave you, forsake you, or let you down. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. And that's the peace with God that we have through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then another wonderful name, Jehovah Rohi, 
The Lord is my shepherd. He gave his life for the sheep. That's us. He laid down his life of his own free will. Jehovah Jireh. That means the Lord will provide. The Lord has seen ahead and made provision. Christ was the offering provided for our complete redemption. The Lord provided the lamb. Jehovah Zidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. I love this. Jesus becomes our righteousness by bearing as his own all our sins on the cross. Therefore, we have the amazing redemptive privilege of receiving the gift of righteousness. It is an atonement blessing. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it tells us that God made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer, and Dr. Isaac Lisa, um, he's an able translator of the Hebrew English Bible. Um, he translates Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, um, verse 5 and 10. Oh, sorry, verse 3, 4, 5 and 10. Um, he was despised and shunned of man, a man of pains and acquainted with disease. But only our diseases did he bear himself and our pains he carried and through his bruises healing was given to us but the lord was verse 10 but the lord was pleased to pleased to crush him through disease another translation by rotherham says he hath laid on him sickness you see from you and me to calvary surely our sicknesses that the word is coli that really means sicknesses he has borne our pains, he has carried them. And we have esteemed him plagued, smitten of God, and afflicted. And that word, verb born, uh, the Hebrew is nasa, and it means to lift up, bear away, remove completely to a distance. And we find this in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 22, the scapegoat. They would confess their sins over the scapegoat and he would be taken away into the wilderness. And I'm told that actually they would throw him, throw the goat down a cliff to his death, taking the sins with him. And that's a picture of what Jesus did on the cross. Therefore, Jesus bore my sins and your sins, my sicknesses and your sicknesses outside the camp to the cross. Therefore, we, you, can boldly proclaim, sin and sickness have passed from me to Calvary. Salvation and healing and health have passed from Calvary to me. This means that Jesus, who knew no sin, never sinned ever in his life, never been sick. He bore my sins and your sins. He bore my sicknesses and your sicknesses. And he made them his in order to pay the just punishment that you and I, I know I certainly richly deserved. And he took it on the cross. Jesus didn't just fellowship with our sins and sicknesses. He actually took them into his own body. And so look what the Lord has done for us. Um, he deserves all our praise, 
when you think of what he did for us. He could have called for, oh, 12 legions of angels to rescue him, but he absolutely refused to pray to be rescued because he loved us and he wanted to rescue us. And he deserves all our praise and all our worship, all our adoration, all our love, all our loyalty, all our devotion. And uh, Pastor Derek has been speaking about for us not to be ashamed of him when he took our shame on the cross. And there's another wonderful story, an account of the anointing of Jesus at Bethany. And this is another woman who poured out her love upon Jesus. Let us take these, these accounts deep into our hearts. Matthew 26, verse 6 to 13. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly oil. And then she broke the flask and she poured the oil on his head and he sat at his table. And when his disciples saw it, they were indignant. And they said to one another, why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For the poor you always have with you, but me you do not always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. And this is something absolutely amazing that Jesus said. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So why is this story associated with the preaching of the gospel? This is the effect that God wants to have from the preaching of the gospel, the result of God's abundant grace. See, this is the source of, of releasing our love to him. Jesus said, you did not choose me, I chose you. The more grace that's given, the more one loves God, the more we realize how much he's forgiven us, the more we love him. We have been given an enormous amount. And Lord, I pray for each and every person within the sound of my voice and myself too, that more and more we have the revelation of how much you have forgiven us, a revelation of your amazing amazing grace. You see, we know that the gospel has done its work in a person when it produces a response like it did in that woman, when it, it produces a response like it did in my brother, like I've led, I've led a bad life, but God has been so good and merciful to me. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. I'm so in love with you. The only purpose is to worship him. Let me read again, verse 7. A woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly oil. The flask itself was valuable. And inside it, I mean, this was many years' savings. I mean, it cost an enormous amount. 
she broke the flask and she poured it on his head as he sat at table. And this is such a picture of us, um, as it were, breaking our hearts with love for him, pouring out our love upon him, on his head, on his feet, all over him. And the disciples said, what a waste. Oh, how could they say that? How could anything given to God, given to Jesus, be a waste? How could any time spent loving him and worshipping him be considered a waste? But there we have an enemy who will put into our minds, what a waste, you could be doing this, you should be doing that. There's the washing, the shopping, the cooking, the cleaning. I have to do this, I have to rush to the office, I have to do this, I pick up the children, I have to do all this. Actually, the most important thing that you can do is first of all, spend time loving him. Not asking, yes, he wants us to ask for things, but to spend time just saying, I've come here to love you, Lord. And so the more of a revelation we have of God's forgiveness and mercy, that abundant grace towards us, the more we will be like that woman with extravagant worship. The Lord loves us extravagantly. Oh, please don't let's break God's heart by only seeking what is in his hand. Yes, he will gladly give us everything that Jesus has paid for us on the cross. He will gladly give us what is in his hand because he loves us so much. But the heart of God, he longs and desires and deserves so much more. He is so precious. He is so beautiful. He's so wonderful. Our amazing God. Make a decision to stir up the passion in your heart. You can do it. Do it with the words of your mouth. Now, first of all, it may sound strange saying, oh, Lord, I love you. I love you. And the devil will make sure that you feel it sounds odd. But keep on saying it. Keep on saying it. And you do mean it. Even if the accuser or the brethren say, oh, you don't mean it. Yes, you do. Determine to let go of all those things that are screaming for your attention. Obviously, if your baby or your child's in need, you need to go to them. But there, there is a place that you can spend with the Lord. And put God first. Be determined to completely give yourself over to God. You know, to say, oh God, I want all of you in all of me. I want you in my kitchen, I want you in my car, I want you in my children, I want you in my children's school, I want you in my school, I want you in my office, I want you in all of my life and I want to give all of me to you. And focus on his pleasure, not your own. That's love, focusing on the beloved's pleasure. And release your words of love towards him, really as if you were straining uh, to win a race. And break your alabaster box. Summon and command every emotion and affection of your heart. God is an emotional God. When I say emotional, I mean he's not unstable. He, he's, he, he loves, he laughs, he grieves, he weeps. 
be totally focused on him. Pour out your love to bless him immeasurably. Don't you think it's absolutely amazing that our love can bless God? Pour that very costly fragrant oil of your love and your worship over him in wave after wave after wave. You know, in the church, my cry, my heart's desire is that as a congregation, we will pour out our love to the Lord, wave after wave after wave, and fall upon our faces, worshipping him. We can fall upon our faces physically or deep in our hearts. And you will come to a place as you persist in this time of worshipping God, where actually you won't be able to find the words in your own language to express all your love for the Lord, because your love for him will become so great, so deep, so overwhelming. Now just allow the Holy Spirit to help you through communication without words. It could be cries and weeping and groans. Seek that place of total abandonment to God, and that river of life will flow to you and through you. And maybe the language of the Holy Spirit will sound strange to you, but don't hold back. Break open the alabaster box of your heart. Pour out to the last drop all the perfume that's your passion for the Lord in your worship. He is so worth it. You may be moved to tears. Let them flow. Fall on your face. Pour out the perfume in your heart. Honestly, there is nothing else we can do that's more important than worshipping him. Come to him. Tell him. I just want to come and tell you, Lord, how much I love you. I want to spend time with you today and tell you, you are the center of my universe, Lord. You are my God. You are my savior. You are the love of my life. You are the rock of my life. You are my shepherd. You are my Lord. You are everything I have ever desired. You are everything I have ever dreamed of. And I come to lay down all my love and all my life at your feet. I bless you, precious Father. I worship you with all my heart. Then you could start praying in tongues. I love you, Lord, with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength. God bless you.